Today on the Church Next Podcast, we're going to talk about responsible citizenship as a spiritual calling, about living lives as active, engaged citizens as a form of spiritual discipline and a way of bringing our values into our communities in positive ways. There's much debate in U.S. churches about the relationship the church should have with politics. Whatever people think about politics from the pulpit and the separation of church and state, it is incontrovertible that our values influence our political beliefs, and our faith influences our values. Hello and welcome back. I'm Carrie Graves with Church Next. Today we'll hear from Richard Hohen, Lutheran pastor, activist, educator, and author. His most recent book is We Carry the Fire, Family and Citizenship as Spiritual Calling. Our podcasts are curated from our online learning library at churchnext.tv. Learn more about us there. If you'd like to support us, please consider a monthly subscription. That will give you access to all of our individual online classes. Your generosity helps us produce digital experiences that help shape disciples. To contemporary mainline Protestants, the idea that active civic engagement has any connection to spiritual discipline may seem incongruous. The notion that our Christianity belongs anywhere near our politics can even feel suspicious in a country that both over-politicizes religion and demands a separation between church and state. The relationship between our responsibilities as citizens and our Christian practices, in short, is complex for most of us. In our governance system, we decide to what extent the government will provide food security, whether regulations will protect clean water sources, how we will welcome immigrants and refugees, if and how sick people will gain access to health care, what laws will govern how prisoners are arrested, and how we treat them once in custody. The state is the arm of the people. We can't say that our responsibility to care for one another ends where the state begins when we are the state. In today's podcast, Richard suggests that, like it or not, our Christian beliefs should motivate robust political activism in a society governed by the people and for the people. In today's first segment, Richard asks us to consider civic engagement as a spiritual calling. He connects Christian values with civic responsibility. Because the United States embraces its citizens' power to practice any religion, or no religion at all, We have decided as a country that the government should not push religious beliefs or practices on its citizenry. Nevertheless, democracy by its nature brings religion into public life, not by pushing organized religion, but by being the structure by which our culture enacts its values on a civic level. Since each citizen's values matter in a democracy, since we govern ourselves, our religious beliefs must naturally enter into the system because our beliefs influence our values. This means that Christians are called to live active, Christ-centered lives as citizens. I'm going to talk about our spiritual callings in a troubled world. I think you all know about the things that trouble us, so I'm not going to give you a bunch of 
social problems. Instead, I'm going to begin with the words spiritual and calling and then put them together as spiritual calling. We have all felt called to be a certain kind of person. For example, to be generous, to be kind, to be hardworking. And we've all felt called to do certain things, little things like take out the trash, empty the dishwasher, and big things like support our families, be loyal to friends. So there are little callings and there are big callings. And the same is true of spirituality. There's little spirituality and big spirituality. Little spirituality is when you have that momentary feeling of awe at the night sky. You go outside and you just feel overwhelmed. And it's a genuine feeling. But it kind of passes when you go inside and turn on the television. And then there's big spirituality. Big spirituality is your deepest desires, your highest hopes, your ultimate values. We can say the spirituality of your soul. Now, one way to ask about big spirituality is, what do you live for? Where do you find your sense of meaning? Or another, perhaps more stark way to ask about it is, your soul, to ask about your soul spirituality is, what would you die for? And I would suggest that most people live for and would die, if necessary, for their family. And that many people also are willing to die for their country, which is a social expense extension of their family. So when we put together spiritual and calling and ask, what is our spiritual calling, our soul spirituality? As I write in We Carry the Fire, it's an action spirituality that calls us to nurture, protect, and strengthen families and citizenship in a democratic society, because it is democracy which allows us to be citizens and not just subjects of government. Now, most of us pay a lot of attention to family, but most of us, unfortunately, don't pay as much attention to our spiritual calling as citizens. And democracy dies in silence. It depends on our actions that continually renew and strengthen it, just as you can't abandon a child in a forest and hope that it will thrive. I once asked a college student whether he participated in any kind of citizen-oriented activities in the community. And he replied, wincing, well, you know how it is. I'm, I'm so busy. I have classes. I have friends. I just don't seem to have time for anything else. No time for the mitigation of hunger and poverty. No time for the prevention of dictatorships or human rights. No time for the prevention of war. Taken for granted dailiness is as dangerous a threat to democracy as the overt actions of those who seek only their private interests 
and don't care a fig about what happens to the rest of us. The beginning of our citizenship came with the Declaration of Independence. Governments are instituted among people deriving their just powers, where? From the consent of the governed. And then it was reaffirmed in the preamble to the Constitution. We, the people of the United States, do ordain and establish this Constitution. Not just we who hold public office, not just we who work for governments, we, the people of the United States. And then Abraham Lincoln's memorable words at Gettysburg, that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. We are the end game. We are the end game. We as citizens must work to sustain democracy or we shall lose it. And those who have died for it in the many wars and those who have lived for it will have lived and died in vain if we let that happen. Preserving and protecting democracy is a spiritual calling along with our spiritual calling to nurture families. However, family happens to be constituted in your situation. In our church, we venerate saints. We look up to them, not because of their divinity, but because of their humanity. Saints understand pressure. We are all busy and tired and facing social, financial, and family pressures, as well as the struggle to survive from one day to the next. The stories of the saints remind us that they face not only the basic daily struggles of life like we do, but also the expectation that they would lead their lives applying pressure on the world to support the arrival of God's kingdom. Saints remind us that despite the exhaustion and responsibility we feel on all sides sometimes, it is possible to live lives of faithful service, to tap into our spiritual values and enact them in the world. Let's hear from Richard about looking to the saints of today, allowing their examples to inspire us. What citizenship looks like as a spiritual calling. I worked at Bread for the World and Bread for the World Institute for 17 years. Bread for the World doesn't directly feed people. Bread for the World staff and members lobby Congress for policies that help people who are hungry and poor, whether they're in the United States or abroad. And it felt good. It felt morally good to be making a difference with my life, even though my part was tiny. And it felt spiritually good to be working in solidarity with other people, other people in the office, other people at the grassroots level, and other people around the world who were committed to an action spirituality that helped families promoted civilized life, and embraced a faith that we could make a difference with our lives. It was spiritual in that it was a commitment to values and vision that affirmed goodness. And we were actually doing something. We didn't just have 
good values, we were doing something to realize those values. It was spiritual in that we had solidarity relationships, working with others in ways that celebrated our relational, social, moral, and political existence. And it was spiritual in that it improved the human spirit in the real world. And I mean that very literally. People lived instead of died. It was that kind of spirituality. The first three years at Bread for the World, I was a grassroots organizer traveling to preach, teach, and lead workshops in churches and colleges in eight different states. Now, we had near poverty level salaries, but the local members were paying dues and they were contributing their time free. They were volunteers on top of their regular jobs and their children's dance lessons and soccer practice and their involvement in their congregation and their involvement in their communities. I was totally inspired by the members because of their moral commitment and the values they evidenced. They volunteered at food banks, soup kitchens, Meals on Wheels, and yet somehow on top of everything else that everybody does, they found time to educate people in their congregations about hunger, about poverty, about pending legislation, and about how to address it. For example, I met Vivian, who with her husband made jelly, raised their children, milked their goats, convened a local group of people to learn about legislation and write letters to Congress. This was before email. She convinced the very, um, let us say, conservative newspaper editor of her Northwest city to include an article that supported funding for WIC, the Women, Infants, and Children's Nutrition Program. She met with her member of Congress when he was in town, and she flew cross-country to visit him in his office. I also worked with Jim and Rebecca in Houston, who, in addition to all their other activities, mobilized people, write letters, send emails. They write opinion editorials to the local newspaper so that readers and members of Congress will be encouraged to support uh, positive legislation. And, you know, that's just a couple of, and those are very real people I'm talking about. Um, and there are thousands more, each in their own way, and yet all together in anonymous solidarity, working to help people who are disappearing into the dark holes of human desperation. To me, those people, those members of Bread for the World, and, and lots of other groups that are doing similar things, they are the heroes of democracy. They are the citizen saints of American society. Because day after day, they sacrificially persevere in behalf of a vision of healthy families and societies. They build and sustain democracy, and they do it quietly, they do it with determination, they do it with persistence, and for them, it is a spiritual discipline. well 
world to embrace Christian beliefs and hold solid values, but it doesn't do the world much good if we don't act on them. On the other hand, just diving in and working without intention, without building good habits, makes us unlikely to maintain strong engagement with our work as citizens. Just as we would with any spiritual discipline, we need to develop discipline and practice to build up our involvement. In this segment, Richard discusses ways in which Christians can build up social and spiritual disciplines just as we would any other, starting small, building habits, and adding challenges as we improve. He offers a way to plan to avoid I should thinking about doing more volunteer work, but to create specific goals and build the steps of our spiritual citizenship work into our daily lives. On January 2nd of this year, a friend of mine in California posted her birthday wish on Facebook, and she said it's a wish for all of us. And what she wrote was, quote, as the world tries to figure all this out, and I assume what she meant by that was political turmoil and COVID-19, she says, quote, I'll be letting people cut in front of me in traffic. I'll be saying good morning, keeping babies entertained in grocery lines, stopping to talk to someone who looks lonely, tipping generously, chatting with other walkers, waving at police, sharing food, giving children a thumbs up, engaging with sales clerks, and smiling at passersby as often as I have the opportunity, and buying a total stranger a cup of coffee. Why, she asks. Quote, because I will not stand idly by and live in a world where unconditional love is invisible. Join me in showing love, judging less. Find your own way to swing the pendulum in the direction of love. Be kind to a stranger and, and to an animal today and every day. It may just be a friend you have never met. Pay it forward for any kindness shown to you in the past. And then she writes in bold print, be the change, shine your light, start today. We are called to treat one another decently, and it is a spiritual calling. I, I think of Otis Redding and Aretha Franklin, uh, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, because we're all part of the same social fabric and we're dependent on one another. Now, our friend's advice, I think, was really good. It's part of our spiritual calling as individuals, but those are all private actions. Those are actions we take as individuals toward one another. But we are also citizens who have an obligation to care for the people that we don't see on the street, the people we don't meet. What sort of actions can we take as citizens to help people in the aggregate in large group? What are the spiritual disciplines of our public life? Now, I have in the book a chart, and the chart has in the left column, the first step, a little more, still more, a lot more. That is to say, it's okay if you're just taking a first step, but take that first step. But maybe you could do a little more, and then maybe still more, and maybe you could even do a lot more. 
And then the columns across the top, the, the vertical columns, are knowledge, lifestyle, congregation, and politics. So, for example, on the first step, listen to suffering communities. Keep current with reputable news. Study a pro policy problem or a lifestyle. Consume less. Upgrade your diet. Conserve energy at home. Give to charitable organizations or your congregation. Study your congregation's personnel and consumption practices. Or in politics, register and vote. Then you could do a little more. Join an activist organization. Or in lifestyle, be a volunteer. Or in congregation, lead children and youth events. Or in politics, doing a little more is be actively involved in political campaigns and, and so on for the rest of the chart. But the, the main point is there is a lot you can do, and, but it takes work and it takes time and it takes focus and it takes the same kind of discipline that other spiritual disciplines take. political extremes dominate current American political discourse. At the same time, conversation about how to communicate across the political divide is widespread, which would lead us to believe there is a desire on each side to try to understand the other. Civil discourse is a method of talking with people that emphasizes listening and learning, and congregations are often good places to create forums for such dialogue. Finding common ground and common values, listening and learning, and building relationships with one another through civil discourse on topics of public policy can be a part of the work as citizens that we do in our congregations. Let's hear from Richard on how our congregations can be part of a national reconciliation effort. How can congregations help heal the divisions that we so painfully experience in society today? Now, you know, some congregations attract mostly liberals and some attract mostly conservatives, but many, many congregations have both liberals and conservatives, and they just, they just avoid talking about controversial issues, just like some families at Easter or Christmas. Uh, but congregations can play a vital role in contributing to a saner and safer civic culture where dis differences are respected and democracy prevails. Now, personally, and you have to make your own decisions about these things, I personally believe the pulpit is not the best place to address specifics of controversial political issues or public policies. And that's because the pulpit is one-way communication. It doesn't take the, the congregation seriously. People don't get a chance to talk back during a sermon. They don't get a chance to express their feelings and beliefs. They don't get a chance to learn by talking with one another. Now, but the pulpit is an important place to talk about religious values, and that's a major part of what religion is about. I believe the bulk of a congregation's effort 
should go into encouraging, educating, and supporting members in their roles as families and citizens. Some colleagues and I are working on a project and a website on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals 2030 as a spiritual calling. And last year, I, before COVID, I made a Saturday morning presentation to members of a congregation in Virginia. And people said, well, you know, over half our members aren't here. And the reason they're not here is because they think the UN is a terrible organization. So some thought it was pretty good, some thought it was terrible. The congregation was politically divided, just like the rest of society. But congregations are kind of unique in that they often have both these elements. And here is a situation where it might be possible to mitigate some of the bitterness that divides American political culture. After all, people who are there claim they share the same values, the values that are articulated in whatever tradition it is. And they should, could begin in forums talking about not differences, not disagreements, but talk about their shared values. They could learn to listen respectfully to one another. And it, it may sound kind of silly, but I think of it like an anthropologist would listen to an indigenous tribe in the Brazilian rainforest. You go in and you listen. Wow, why do they think that way? Oh, that's interesting. Hmm, listen, listen, listen. Though the differences may not get solved, and you may not even try to resolve the differences, I find I can always learn something from people who have opinions that are very different than mine, and we can continue to cherish people who have opinions that are different from ours. Civil discourse is important in families, congregations, and political democracy. I have a friend who disagrees with me on just about every political issue, and yet he gets up every morning and goes to a nursing home to sit beside the bed of his wife, who probably doesn't even know he is there. He is a good person. He doesn't become a bad person because we disagree sharply on social and political issue. To me, the definitive spiritual question is, what sort of people do we want to be? And we become clear that the answer is, we want to be good stewards of the gifts we have received. When we think that way, we will realize that other people, whatever their opinions and democracy, are among the gifts that we have received. As I was getting off a tour bus in Kuala Lumpur, I asked our tour guide if he was, I was just curious, was he able to make a decent living just being a tour guide or did he have another job to supplement his income? And he said, oh, he said, this job pays really well. He said, I, I work at this for six months. He said, then I go volunteer at an ecology project in Kalimantan. There are people like him all over the world of all faiths. People who get up in the morning, who work for justice and sustainability, for democracy, 
and families, people who carry forth the kind of action spirituality that is our spiritual calling, our spiritual calling as people of faith. That's the end of Richard's talk. If you're interested in reading more about citizenship as a spiritual calling and civil discourse, look into We Carry the Fire, Family and Citizenship as Spiritual Calling by Richard Hohn. The Church Cracked Open, Disruption, Decline, and New Hope for Beloved Community by Stephanie Spellers, and The Holy Vote, The Politics of Faith in America by Ray Suarez. That's the end of our time today with Richard. If you are interested in learning more about his work, visit his website at richardhohen.net. That's Richard, H-O-E-H-N.net. In addition, check out his book, We Carry the Fire, Family and Citizenship as Spiritual Calling. If you're interested in learning more about civic engagement and civil discourse online, you can find helpful resources on the Episcopal Church Office of Government Relations Civic Engagement page. That's the end of today's podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to learn more about us, go to churchnext.tv. Also, check out our Church Next classes. Make Me an Instrument of Peace, a Guide to Civil Discourse. Bridging the Political Divide with Parker Palmer, Civil Conversations in Uncivil Times with Ray Suarez, and Faithful Descent, Loving Our Way into a Brighter Tomorrow. We close with the prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.